0: Hey it's Tuesday. The week is flying by. <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe not Paul here hope you're doing well d j producing today doing more than producing. He really is in charge of this show and never fails to remind Jordana is going to be joining us at four thirty. It's international women's day, and she's i think she has a quiz for us right d j
2: Well, she just called us earlier to remind us that it was International Women's Day. uh,
1: So so treat her with even more respect.
2: Yes, yes. Even more than we always do every single day. We bow down. We bow (laughs) down
1: before Jordana. Uh, She is a a superhero. She should wear a cape. Everything she's been through. I mean, all of us deserve capes with the pandemic, but, but with leukemia and being very transparent on the air about what she's going through i th- i think i presume i hope she has helped a lot of people going through life-threatening ailments right now talk about a double whammy so you may have heard the uh, the news uh first it was vodka and and now it's gasoline today president biden announced that uh america will quickly wean itself off oil from Russia.
2: Today, I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports, and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. This is a move that has strong bipartisan support in Congress and I believe in the country. Americans have rallied support have rallied to support the Ukrainian people and made it clear we will not be part of subsidizing Putin's war.
1: So, we should point out too that America gets about 3% of its oil from Russia and there is bipartisan support for banning Russian oil imports in the US and that support has grown stronger in recent days. Uh, should we be drilling more? Well, it's, it's not really up to Biden. From what I understand, there are uh, 9,000 unused gas and oil leases in the U.S. right now. According to the uh, Department of Interior, the U.S. had more than 37,000 oil and gas leases last year. And there are 9,000 more that are unused. It's up to the energy companies to decide to invest and drill. And experts say even if the Exxon's and the BPs of the world start drilling more oil wells today, it will take anywhere from six months to a year for that oil to start flowing. A lot of people blaming President Biden for gas prices going up. Last time I checked, the president of the United States, any president, is not in charge of global oil prices. Might want to blame Vlad, Vladimir Putin and his invasion of Ukraine, creating the uncertainty that has uh, driven up prices. And again, say what you will about President Biden. He is leading the free world in supporting the Ukrainian war effort and providing maximum economic pressure on Russia. Extreme sanctions. Russia has, in essence, been canceled by the rest of the world. With some notable exceptions, India and China, trying to have it both ways, pledging neutrality. We'll see about that. Poland is donating all of its MiG-29s to the United States, presumably to be used in Ukraine in exchange for used U.S. aircraft with Equivalent capabilities, and Poland wants other NATO allies to step up with MiGs again, ironic Russian made MiGs uh, to defend Ukraine. I also couldn't help but notice the U.S., according to senior U.S. defense officials, there is anecdotal evidence that some of Russia's more than 150,000 invading troops in the Ukraine were told they were going on a training exercise. million Ukrainians have fled their country. Over a million have temporarily settled in Poland. And uh, we'll see how this unfolds. Russia's military, eight times the size of Ukraine's. And a lot of analysts are wondering, will the occupation of Ukraine become Russia's Afghanistan? Of course, the Soviet Union had problems in Afghanistan. So did we. But it would take hundreds of thousands of troops to fully occupy Ukraine for the long haul. So we'll see what happens. and We'll keep you posted as new information becomes available. Tim Lammers has some ideas on what to stream. I'm very interested in the rise of the Lakers dynasty. He has that and more next.
0: The
2: idea is that the outer you will finally match the inner you. Picture the face you want to have. The
0: life you want to have. Just rub that all over your face.
3: Here we go. Fire!
1: <laughs> that's a that's a clip from The Boys Presents Diabolical on Amazon Prime. I've been watching The Boys series. It, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty violent. And uh, DJ was complaining he had trouble finding a 20-second clip uh, without an F-bomb. So thank you, DJ, for finding a clean clip. Uh, I enjoy the boys, but this is something altogether different. Joining us right now from the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline is the one and only Tim Lammers. Hey, Tim, welcome back.
3: Hey, Paul. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking with DJ on the phone, and I I didn't warn him about the F-bombs, but now I kind of think, you know, it's kind of fun when he goes into it and trying to figure out that maze and (laughs) try to pull a 20-second clip out of it. Yeah, it's just like the boys. Actually, Paul, uh, it's an animated series, eight Hmm. episodes that are about 12 to 14 minutes each um and they're all in different animated styles so one feels like looney tunes but one feels like anime and one feel you know so they all have these you know this different feel to them but they're all set in the boys universe so they don't necessarily have to do with any of the boys characters although characters like homelander he does show up eventually Uh, in the eighth episode, which is all about him and Black Noir, uh, those two characters. Um, So, you know, it's just fun to get a little taste of the boys while we wait for another season. There's going to be a third season in June. But for those who are unaware of what the boys is about, it's uh, a bunch of super-powered human beings that are supposed to be superheroes, but they're actually supervillains. So The Boys is made up of this group of men and women who are trying to thwart this evil force, whom, again, everybody thinks is good.
1: Yeah, they are seriously flawed. Um, Mm -hmm. Tim, I want to leave enough time, because I know you got an amazing interview Let's play a clip from Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty on HBO Max.
4: I want to build something special, a real dynasty. But I need a partner. First pick,
0: 1979 NBA Draft. Los Angeles Lakers select Irvin
3: Magic Johnson. me it's gonna be
1: exciting this sounds like a great mini-series taking you behind the scenes a dramatization uh tell me you like this tim i hope
3: you did i you know what i actually loved it paul and it's interesting because i really don't follow the nba that much these days um i have an affinity for the lakers because of course they were at one point the Minneapolis Lakers, and yep. my mom used to attend games where she would watch the likes of George Mikan. <laughs> you know, so there's always really? been that affinity for the team. But of course, they moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> this is about the Los Angeles Lakers Showtime era, uh, where the Lakers really dominated the 1980s with, with players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson. So, this is a great look at what goes on on the court, but as well as behind the scenes and it's a 10-part series. it 's a ten part series was it 's been promoted as a mini series, but apparently they 're actually working on another season of this but it 's um, executive produced by Adam McKay, who uh, actually directed don 't look up." So yep. you know pa- uh, Paul, he has a very distinct style, a very crazy style. For this series, it has that late 70s, early 80s feel to it, kind of a cross between Anchorman and Boogie Nights. (laughs) You know, it's pretty crazy stuff, but uh, all-star cast in this thing, and the voice you probably heard was of uh, John C. Riley, who uh, is Jerry Buss, the guy who bought the team in 1979 and turned the Lakers games into an entertainment destination in order to get people into the seats. So it's a terrific series, whether you like basketball or not. Adrian Brody and wait, Sally field is in this thing. Yeah. Sally Field plays uh, Jesse Buss, who is uh, Jerry Buss's mother, eccentric mother, who uh, doubles as his accountant. She likes to keep business in the family. So you have her, you have um, Quincy Isaiah, a relative newcomer playing Magic, as well as Solomon Hughes, another newcomer who plays Kareem. But Adrian Brody plays uh, Pat Riley. Uh, you got Michael Chiklis as Red Auerbach, who of course was the, uh, iconic coach. general manager of the boston celtics who were the lakers biggest rivalry but yeah just a huge cast jason siegel uh tracy letts uh is a great uh screenwriter but also a terrific actor that you'll know devon nixon plays his father norm nixon who was part of the showtime showtime lakers so yeah it's it's just an amazing cast a huge ensemble
1: and you got an interview with a lot of these actors. What what stood out in those interviews?
3: Well, first of all, I I, I love Sally Field. I mean, she is just an amazing actor. Has been for years. I did talk with her for Lincoln, uh, Steven Spielberg's film, a few years back. But that was on the phone, so it's really cool to be talking to somebody on um zoom you know you're seeing you're seeing each other and you you discover that as iconic as she is she's just as warm and sweet as you would imagine her to be so that was a real trip for me i, I just love her uh, michael chiklis i've always loved his stuff he did that series coyote on cbs all access recently but of course his career goes way back to the commission he did the shield and the fantastic four movies as the thing so just a great guy, great actor. And it was the first time I actually talked with um, Adrian Brody. Again, a guy that's been around, Oscar winner. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really a trip. I, I talked with 12 actors from the series in all for a site called Looper.com. But, of course, you can find the links to all those Q&As on my website, directconversations.com.
1: Tim, I'm just curious, with the pandemic, God willing, beginning to fade, i know that the stars anytime there's a new release they they have to get out they have to promote they have to market Mm -hmm. uh raise awareness generate some buzz do you think zoom is going to be a staple going forward or is it better to get out in person shake hands uh or is it going to be a hybrid approach
3: well you know it's funny i asked a publicist friend of mine about this very thing and this was actually in the thick of the pandemic and she didn 't know for sure you know, I think the general thinking is is that when you have a big, big you know avengers type of event movie they 're probably going to push for those one on ones. But you have to remember a lot of these junkets what they do is they fly out journalists to l a or New York or wherever, so they 're going to be cutting out that expense, and also the talent doesn 't have to be put up in a the hotel they don 't mm-hmm. have to be carted anywhere they can just broadcast from the uh, comforts of their own living room. So I definitely can see Zoom going forward in some capacity. I think it's actually going to be bigger, though, than people think. I, it's just, again, it's a, it's a matter of convenience for the stars. and makes it easier to coordinate. Sure. I tell you what, the system that I've taken part in uh, with the junket production companies over Zoom, it's really a slick operation. And I've been on press junkets before, and it is pretty crazy those in person ones. So, yeah, I could definitely see it happening. I mean, look, the quality is terrific with the with the state of the art, you know, um, um, yeah. broad. I want to say broadband, but you know, I mean, everything, you know, online, everything is high def. I mean, so it's almost like Paul when you used to do satellite interviews, but that was expensive. This is a lot cheaper, obviously. Sure.
1: Yeah. Tim Lammers, thank you for your perspective. Uh, Looking forward to catching up with you on Friday. Hang in there.
3: All right. Thank you, Paul. Have a great day, and we'll talk Friday.
1: Thank you, Tim. So you may have heard teachers in Minneapolis on strike. First time since 1970, St. Paul avoided a strike. When we get back, the superintendent of St. Paul Public Schools, Dr. Jutter, joins us on CCO. That's next. Minneapolis teachers on strike. St. Paul was able to reach a negotiated settlement. And my initial visceral, perhaps simplistic, knee-jerk reaction was, well, what did St. Paul offer that perhaps Minneapolis couldn't or wouldn't offer? And I thought, well, let's go right to the top. Dr. Joe Goddard, superintendent of St. Paul Public Schools. Thanks for joining us today,
4: doctor. Hey, Paul, good afternoon. Great to be with you.
1: What uh what's well, great to have you and can you answer my naive simplistic question what 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 did you do to keep the wheels on the bus and keep kids in public school in St. Paul what were some of the factors that made all the difference in reaching a negotiated settlement
4: Well there's a few things one we you know have good partnership with our bargaining members from the SPFE team and we've proven that through, you know, our, our last labor standoff and right into the pandemic, you know, we've never really truly left the table with them. Um, and we've had to, you know, experience trying to do school virtually and trying to problem solve through some of those problems. So going into contract negotiations, you know, I feel like we had a good relationship established. It was just going to be a matter of the time it was going to take for us to sort out our priorities. And more importantly, uh, to work together to, to find out what fit in our parameters and, and what perhaps uh, was going to be left out.
1: So I'm, I'm reading reports, uh, Superintendent, that higher wages, one of many factors, uh, class size caps, increased mental health support, and one-time payments for educators. Was there any one that was a, a, perhaps a greater sticking point than others or did everything come together at the last minute and people got enough of what they wanted uh, to avoid a strike in saint paul
4: paul i'm going to give you the best one word answer i know yes um (laughs) okay when you you know you come to the to the table like that and and have a bargaining group representing you know 4200 employees from three subgroups um You know, they are passionately bringing uh, proposals from their colleagues that are addressing a wide range of issues. Wages always being one, of course, Um, but also things that, uh, you know, that they identify as needs and uh, support in both what students need and what staff need to be effective in their roles. And for us, again, it's a matter of trying to place out what the financial parameters are. Um, assigning cost to some of the proposals or investments that our educators are asking for, and then again looking at how can we move these around um, in order of priority and in order of cost, um, so that we can see what we can accomplish together in reaching the tentative agreement. And that's what happened last night at eight twenty. Eight twenty. St. Paul Superintendent of
1: Public Schools, Dr. Joe Goddard, joining us right now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. And one of the, uh, the things that's coming up in school districts all across the nation is sufficient counselors available to help students with mental health problems. And, and certainly during the pandemic, I mean, we've had sort of a perfect storm between the murder of George Floyd and and the pandemic remote learning back to in classroom learning the back and forth i mean it it's been tough for grown-ups i can't imagine what it's been like for kids but are are you worried about you know a lot of young people with ptsd from
4: what we've all experienced the last 2 years you know i think it's a it's a complex question and one that goes back several years. I mean, this is my third bargaining cycle with the St. Paul Federation. And, you know, each year mental health has been part of that. And we've done a good job of truly beginning to address some of those areas that needed to be addressed in our um, in our staffing. So we've built a really solid foundation. I think this last round of, um, of you know, our tentative agreement uh, provided some great flexibility, some great articulation, of how we can continue to maintain what we have. I think, One of the biggest challenges in public education right now is sustaining efforts that have have started. Uh, We don't have an infinite amount of resources. And when things change, like student enrollment or when inflation is higher than, you know, we don't get the revenue, the inflation on revenue uh, that's required for us to cover our costs. You know, we've got to make really hard budget decisions. And, you know, those are the things that just aren't matching up when it comes to, you know, why does it come to this every two years? There's so much change that we're trying to navigate and truly sustain the issues and some of the challenges that our students have.
1: Dr. Goddard, I'm curious, um, as a meteorologist, I, I wonder some days with Zoom, with remote learning, with how we all had to pivot during the pandemic for the better part of two years, are snow days dead? And specifically, are, are there things that we learned the hard way with remote learning that can be applied to make the educational system even better for students going forward. In other words, were there some silver linings, whether it's technological or otherwise, that arose during the pandemic that you may institute going forward? uh, Because they just work. It's a more efficient, cost-effective way of of learning. (laughs)
4: You know, Paul, I might not be the best superintendent to address snow days. There's three hundred and thirty five others in the state. Maybe call on one of them. I've got quite a history with me in snow days. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I don't think that anyone is is saying that um in lieu of, uh, of of school today, that um just stay home and do it remotely is something that we want to have be a, a model for all students, you know, that we're using. However, um, the continuity of education that can take place if there is an event that, that is taking place, the questions of safety for staff and reporting or our buses um, or students in general who may have to walk to school. You know, it, it's 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 an okay kind of a one-day kind of thing. We have five days that are approved. We call them e-learning days in, in St. Paul. Um, I think we've used two this year. Um, but no, it, it doesn't suffice at all. To your question about does... Uh, What have we learned from remote learning? One of the things that I think has been very helpful is, you know, in a sense, we had to force our educators to post information online in one of our uh, learning management systems, Seesaw for our younger students and Schoology uh, for our older. And for many students, uh, it's a way to help them stay organized, keep their work organized. Uh, For our staff, they're able to communicate and work is able to be passed back and forth uh, that I that I do think is a, is a really good thing. It does not take the place of a physical interaction in a classroom, um, but it, it definitely has uh, uh, placed us into a consistent way that we're able to share information from staff to students uh, around the district.
1: Last question, Doctor Gothard, is there still a need for great educators and teaching assistants? Uh, how are you doing, just in terms of you know teachers retiring for whatever reason? Uh, is is the demand still there, and what are you doing to try to make sure that the best educators in the country are being attracted to St. Paul?
4: Yeah, when I talk to my colleagues, you know, in the metro, around the state, around the country, uh, workforces, it, it comes up as a top-three issue. Um, I think each of us are concerned about uh, the future of our workforce. And, and again, for listeners out there, we are 6,200 employees in St. Paul Public Schools, 3,200 of which are teachers so we have 3,000 folks that do, you know, other really important uh, work in, in supporting the education of, of young people too. Um, so yes, I mean the, the livable wage, the starting salary, and a um, you know a, a salary that's going to retain folks is is really important. But I think the other piece with that is that we want to be a place uh, that can be a good, um, have a good culture, a good environment as well, so that staff really feel proud of, of coming to work and. And doing their great work. And, you know, education has become a very public and at times divided issue, depending on the values that you hold and and what you stand for and your beliefs. And I'm always going to fight for public education and I'm going to fight for um, our communities having a say in how we do this important work.
1: Superintendent of St. Paul Public Schools, Dr. Joe Gothard, we, we sure appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day uh, to share your thoughts with us. Uh, wishing you and, and your amazing educators and staff the very best going forward. Thank you.
4: Really appreciate it, Paul. Great to spend time with you. You bet. Hang in there.
1: When we come back, some stuff that made us laugh. and We all need a laugh right about now. Um, stick around. That's up next.
2: And get this, on Saturday, Ukrainian President Zelensky held a Zoom call with U.S. lawmakers, and at one point during the meeting, he asked uh, Florida Senator Rick Scott to mute himself. <laughs> you all know Senator Rick Scott from Florida. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Zelensky was like, and you can turn your camera off, too, if you want to. It's, a, it's amazing, uh, with everything Zelensky's dealing with, even he's like, friggin' Florida. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay. Oh my goodness. So, um, DJ, you're going on a a road trip, a skiing trip this weekend, and I'm curious with with gas now. What, what are we up to? Like seventeen dollars a yeah, gallon?
2: Seventeen. Um, it's not that high yet. Yeah, it's it's. I, I, I haven't it. seen one at four dollars yet, but I've seen a bunch at three ninety nine around the area. I'm sure there's somebody at four dollars. So there are predictions, and who knows. I mean the economists
1: make the meteorologists look good, which mm. is hard to do. <laughs> but gas right now, I think oil is like a hundred twenty, a hundred thirty a barrel. Mm-hmm. There's some economists warning two hundred, three hundred dollars a barrel. Nobody knows. We're yeah. in uncharted waters with what's happening. But I'm curious if, if we if we get up to five, six, seven dollars a gallon, and let's hope we don't, but if we do, would that affect You, I mean, you got to get to work, right? But would it affect your trips, your road trips? You love to take these trips that you share with us, Mm -hmm. but uh, at what point? What's the pain threshold for you?
2: Yeah, well, I I, I gotta say, in my life, I've never been there. You know, I was, I was driving the last time gas was near four dollars a gallon, and uh, you know, I we we drive a lot now. I have two cars in the family. We're driving every day. I haven't changed my habits yet. And like you said, we're, we're going to drive nearly 600 miles this weekend, and it's going to be more expensive than it used to be. Um, I think it's close, though. I think if it goes another dollar and it's five or more than that, uh, I think it's time to make some decisions. You no, know, I, I did look at busing from where I am to downtown to see if that mm-hmm. would be an option. And it is, but you double your commute time, at least for me, when I take a bus. So, I don't know. It's close, but um, so far we haven't changed any habits. How about an e-bike? Get one of those (laughs) e-bikes? I could see you on one of those. Yeah. I've got a little electric skateboard that's kind of fun, but I don't think it can make it all the way from my house down
1: here. (laughs) You have no fear. I I see you on one of those one wheels. Have you seen the one wheels?
2: Yes, yes, I have.
1: And the range, I think, is like 15 or 20 miles, so yeah. you could almost make it 15. from Brooklyn Park Well, downtown.
2: yeah, I could make it, and then i have to charge it during the show, and then...
1: You have to and, charge and, it at, at the office. Yeah, I yeah. could do that. Okay. Uh,
2: are you uh, going to get me one of those? I'm, well, I, if you'd <laughs> use it, I'd, I'd
1: consider it. Okay, sounds good. But how would you safely... Uh, you're not going to go down I-94 on a one-wheel. Well,
2: ten-wheel. no. You would take... Well, this brings up another moral dilemma, is that I, I would take bike paths and bike lanes... But uh-huh. then, you know, bikers wouldn't be too happy about that. So, I don't know. It's kind of a gray area. Can we
1: keep everybody happy? No, no, Pedestrians never. and bikers <laughs> and one wheel and e-bikes. and
2: The problem is I used this. to have a little moped, uh, a little 50cc moped, and m- my wife kind of softly told me that it was time to not have that anymore. <laughs> really you yes. have to be a responsible I have to adult. be responsible and you know Daddy. every time I left the house with my dinky little moped helmet on she would you know be anxious for me so I said okay okay I can get rid yeah, of yeah. it know. I
1: know it's because we make it too easy to get a driver's license right yes. you can see over the windshield
2: hey here you go here's your <laughs> license Oh, Are we'll you going to start driving again. your electric vehicle more often? Like next time you go oh, cross yeah. country, will you consider taking an electric vehicle uh, cross country? You
1: know, country? I would. There's a convenience factor there, too, because it takes longer to charge it up at these yep. superchargers. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with gas, it's what, five minutes and you're yeah. on the road. When you're charging electric, it can be 20 minutes. Yeah. So it does
2: take longer. But but if it's going to be $1,000 $1, to drive across the country in gas, maybe it's close. I'm spending about a third per
1: mile with electric than I am with gas. When we come back, a few COVID nuggets you may not have heard. When we come back on CCO.
0: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?